When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast, hosted by Matt Chancy. Matt is a tax consultant, author, and certified financial planner with almost two decades helping his clients grow their net worth. On the show, Matt brings together an array of specialists to share with you their experience and success along with strategies of the 1%. Matt Chancy is with Coastal One, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here's your host, Matt Chancy. All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tax Alpha Podcast. This is Matt Chancy, and today I have an attorney on the podcast with us, and her name is Tanya Bartolini, and she is a business attorney with Salus Law, but she owns a business consulting company uh, by the name of Business and Beyond. Thanks for coming to the show, Tanya. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, so you started off in, you know, a long time ago, you decided you wanted to be an attorney and you went to law school. And so what made you decide to want to be an attorney? Where did this all start? Oh, ever since I was little, I always like to find the different perspectives. So my whole family kept telling me, oh, you're going to be a great attorney. And alas, that's where my life took me. All right. Well, within the legal profession, there's a ton of different disciplines that you you could pivot into. So out of all the things that you could have been an attorney, I mean, you could have been a personal injury attorney, mass tort or something. How did you pick what you picked? So I became a business attorney because my family has been in business. My dad was a serial entrepreneur. Um, I have a bachelor's of science in international business and trade. So I went through law school and specialized in business law. I also have a master's in international business as well, international business law. International business law. So that begs the question, do you speak another language? I do. I speak Arabic. Okay. Okay. There you go. That would be the only thing that would make sense. Anytime I've ever talked to anybody that studied anything internationally, somehow, somewhere, there was a sneaky other language that was hidden in there. So makes perfect sense. Um, I don't speak another language. Therefore, I don't study the international stuff very much. So it's, uh, I guess that's how that plays out. Well, I am a dual citizen, so I should speak both languages. Okay, there you go. And and what's the other, and I'm just intellectual curiosity. Jordan. Jordan. Okay, there you go. There you go. Um, I've never been over there, but that doesn't mean anything. I don't know. I was just super curious. Okay, very cool. Very cool. All right. So go to law school, international business, and you're, you know, you're, you're solving the legal problems of international business owners, right? Okay. And then all of a sudden, I guess, out of this whole process, it's based on our pre-call, spins this business and beyond opportunity. So talk about the, the seminal moment when you thought about this and you're like, this has to be a thing and I'm going to do it. So I had opened my own law firm and I had a major life event where I couldn't 
actually work for a little bit. And I found that if I wasn't working, no money was being made because most law firms are dependent on the attorney. And I decided that there has to be a better way. And so I started researching and I hired coaches and I figured out how to make my law firm into a real business so that I can actually take a vacation and still produce income. And once I did that and I found that it can actually work, I realized that a lot of law firms, especially, and a lot of businesses, the smaller businesses do not have those processes and procedures and that foundational, those foundational business tools in place so that when they're not working, they're not making money. And I decided that I wanted to help more people have more freedom like I had created for myself. And that's where business and beyond came about. Okay. Okay. So what I heard you say was, I've been trading time for dollars and I can't ever take a break, stop trading time for dollars, no matter how much my time, how valuable it is, even at a thousand dollars an hour, it's still time for dollars, right? Yeah. And so how do we get out of that trap and get what, what in the biz they call reoccurring revenue or passive income, right? So Let's talk about that. What were the first steps when you started thinking, how am I going to create passive income or reoccurring revenue in my business? What were some of the first opportunities that you saw that previously you weren't taking advantage of that you're like, I think here's a better way to serve my customers and a better way to serve myself, right? So the first thing is planning, right? Having a real proper business plan that actually tells me what I need to do with marketing, how much income I need to generate, what kind of work I can produce, who the people are that I need in my business to be able to produce that work um, was the first step. Once you have that plan and you can make an actual business budget, then it becomes a little bit easier to figure out, okay, What are the processes and the procedures that I need to implement in my business so that I can hire people to come in and just work those systems and continue the money generation, continue serving clients, continue providing value without me actually having to do it myself? Okay. Okay. Well, I know it's cliche, but nobody ever builds a plan to fail. You only fail to plan, right? So, okay. Um, So with that being said, right, we've got to build a system. We've got to build a process so that we can plug anybody in there and that person could do that function. What was the first system? What was the first process that you built for your practice? So the first thing I had built was the intake system and marketing. Elaborate on that a little bit. All right. So I started automating my marketing and having actual marketing funnels so that people who called me were a little bit more aware of the services that I provided so that I didn't have as many people who were looking for something else calling my office. So it made it a lot more specific 
the clients who were calling were actually ones who needed my services or the firm's services. And so that made it a little bit more streamlined. It, um, it stopped a lot of waste or time waste of being on the phone, trying to vet people and figuring out whether or not there are services that we can provide. And then through those funnels, we created a system of vetting those clients. What are the questions that you ask? What do you do with the answers, right? Are there people that we can refer them to and give them their, um, you know, the contact information, or do we need to go ahead and schedule them for a consultation? And then how do you input all of that information in a usable form that can be measurable as well? Okay. Okay. So I heard, and I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, right? So I heard automate the intake process through funnels, which with technology today we're using that allows us to use what um, like surveys and questionnaires per se, right? To see how they kind of qualify a little bit, you know, to educate them on here's what we do if this is what you're looking for. Because marketing, I think a lot of people get marketing wrong. And I'll, this is my view on marketing and you can correct me because you're probably more of an expert for sure than I am, right? So, Marketing is supposed to do two things. It's supposed to attract our ideal client, but it's supposed to repel somebody that's not the right fit because number one, they're wasting their time by barking up my tree. So I need to get them barking up the right tree. And number two, it's wasting my time because I just can't add value to that relationship or that transaction. So it's better to just point them in the right direction, right? Oh, that is 100% on point. People are too scared to limit their marketing to their target audience because they're worried that they're going to miss out on opportunities. When in fact, if you generalize too much, like you said, you're wasting their time, you're wasting your time, and you're also missing out on opportunities because of the fact that you're not appealing directly to your target audience. That's right. Absolutely agree. So like we said on the pre-call, see, this is a perfect time for me to talk about this, right? What do I do in my business? I help people that pay over $100,000 in taxes annually legally look at the strategies that can help them reduce that tax burden. If you're not paying at least $100,000 in taxes, you don't have a tax problem. You have an income problem, right? Yes. And you know, where else you come in handy is figuring out the cash flow, right? So part of doing the business budget is to figure out what your cash flows are going to be, whether or not you're coming into a cash flow crunch, right? So that you can figure out what you need to do about it. And if you're saving people from having to pay so much taxes, now their cash flows are going to be better. So they're going to be able to grow faster, hire more, give more value to their customers. Yeah, well, when you have more cash flow, it gives you a few opportunities. You can either take more chips off the table and enhance your lifestyle if that's where you're at, or you have more capital to plow back into your business to grow it, right? So it's your call, whatever you want to do. So um, totally understand there. So great. So, And I heard, correct me if I'm wrong, marketing 
Um, so let's talk about the types of channels that you would use from a marketing perspective to grow your business. Like what did you find that was ultimately successful? I mean, are we talking about, you know, printing out flyers and walking around, you know, car parks and putting them under the thing or, you know, like mailers or newspapers or, or digital and online, or you got billboards everywhere with your name on it over there in Jordan or something that I'm completely unaware of. What's going on? So when it comes to marketing, and I'm not a marketing expert, however, I have used a lot of different marketing techniques. Do not put all your eggs in one basket, as they say. Use different techniques to see what's going to work for you. The one thing I caution against, especially for small businesses, is something like the billboard, okay? Because it's very hard to measure how much return on investment you're receiving from having a billboard advertising. So whatever avenues of marketing that you're doing, you need to make sure that you have a call to action. So ask people to do something, whether it's to call you, whether it's to um, answer a survey or, you know, go to my landing page to get a lead magnet, whatever it is, make sure that you have a call to action and also make sure that you can track and measure the results from that marketing campaign, because that's the only way that you're going to know whether one thing is working or not, or if something's working better than the next, because everybody's business is different. Everyone's ideal client is different. So if you can't measure whether or not you're reaching them, you're not going to be able to make sure that you're reaching them effectively and efficiently. That's right. What's the old, um, I'm going to get this one wrong, but if you're going to do it, you need to track it. And if you track it, you can measure it. And if you measure it, then you can fix it or improve upon it. Right. But if you don't have your numbers then you know, I remember the first time I ever did a digital campaign, I did it with a newspaper. I mean, this is, we're talking more than a decade ago. And the guy walks in like after like a month of me on this thing. And cl clearly this is the biggest newspaper in the region. So their digital department coming in very credible. Right. And they're like, yeah, you had like 80,000 impressions this month. And I'm like, Hey, that sounds really awesome. And I'm like, um, but not one phone call. We didn't make a dollar, like nothing happened. And they're like super excited. And I'm like, I don't understand what you guys are so excited about. Why is this so good? Like, it's nothing good happened, you know, but anyway, so it's, it's uh for their perspective, it was good. I was a great customer. I was paying them money and they were doing nothing and they were still getting dollars. So, I don't know. And that's why I said, be careful of things like a billboard, because those are basically impressions right? You're getting your name out there, but so what? Right? So what? You need the phone calls. You need the clients to come reach out to you. And that's why impressions don't matter. What you need is like you said, how many phone calls are you getting? How many clients have you gotten from that campaign? Right? Yep. So yes. Absolutely. I and mean, I think the billboard is kind of like a um like a vanity play, right? You know, like, it's like, hey, look, I got my company has a billboard. It's on the corner of so-and-so and so-and-so. You're like, how's that working out for you? Like, I don't know, you know. But, right, and billboards are great for just getting your name out there, right? Which is good for like Coca-Cola, Nike, those big corporations, maybe even personal injury attorneys because you're, you know, they're on roads and that's where accidents happen, 
But for every other small business, you're just wasting your money because you don't want people just to know who you are. You don't have that kind of marketing budget and you really shouldn't. You know, you want to have your marketing work for you and return income to you, right? You have to have a good ROI on all of your marketing. Sure. For every dollar you spend, you should know how many dollars you get back, right? That brings me interesting. So I know the CEO of a privately held company that is the title sponsor of a professional sports arena. They wrote a $20 million check to have their name on a sports arena. And I said, how do you know if that's working or not? Like, how do you know? And or if you're getting an ROI on it, and he's like, no way to track it. We'll never know. He goes, but I can tell you this, our sales reps get in way more doors than they ever used to get into. So I was like, well, okay, you know. <laughs> That's a part of tracking it, right? If you know that now they're going into more doors, then it's doing something. Um, That's why I said it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not the best use of a small business's dollars. Sure. So if you're marketing and if you're tracking your marketing, the marketing has got to go somewhere. I would almost bet that there's got to be some sophisticated CRM type deal involved in this whole process. Is there any truth in that? It doesn't have to be sophisticated, but you definitely have to have some sort of CRM. Even if you only use a spreadsheet and input it manually, you do have to have some kind of CRM, some kind of spreadsheet, some way of tracking that information. Gotcha. Very good. So so let's talk a little bit about specifically yours. So what type of customers are you marketing to? Obviously, business owners that need better systems and processes, but how do they know they need better systems and processes? When do they know it's broken when they're like, oh my God, I'm pulling my hair out. This is terrible. It's not working. Or is there a line in the sand before that, before it's like Armageddon, when they know that they should reach out? Unfortunately, It's usually when they're pulling their hair out and going, I don't understand what's going on here and why I keep trying to get more income and it's just not working. Um, You know, 90% of businesses fail before year five. And that's because most of them don't even realize that they need help or that there is help out there to get them situated and create those systems and processes that are going to help them continue to sustain and grow their businesses. So a lot of what I do is educational. um, And I specialize in female owned law firms. Okay. Just because that's who I am. And that's how I started with the uh, optimization of my business. But Unfortunately, even like if you get an MBA or you go to college, it's all theory. And so most people think, oh, it's easy to have a business. It's easy to run a business and I should be able to do it. I have this degree or that degree. And people fail to realize that, no, it's a completely different area, right? You still have to learn it. You still have to implement it. You still have to do what you need to do to get it to work properly, so that you don't fail, you know, before you're five. 
Okay. Okay. So women owned law firms. Okay. I like the niche, niche, whatever that, however you say that word. So would we be able to slice and dice that a little further? Is there a particular type of discipline or law that they're into that is a better fit for your practice? Or is it just anybody that's a woman that's a lawyer? So what I do with business and beyond as far as the consulting is go into the businesses or law firms and help them figure out the best practices and processes for what they want to accomplish. So really, it works for any business anywhere. The reason why I niche or niche or like you said, however you want to say that word, Uh, with female-owned law firms is because being a female attorney for 18 years, I understand some of the nuances that females have to go through and the obstacles in being in a male-dominated industry. And so that's why that's what I concentrate on, which is a little bit more of the mindset and outside of the actual creation of the processes and procedures. But I also believe that your business is a reflection of you. And so you need to bring your own personality and how you want it run so that you can be less stressed because you're not trying to be something that you're not or to build something that you don't align with. Yes, I agree with that. You know, when I got into practice, started building my business, you know, you meet all these mentors along the way that have these other successful practices and have their processes and their procedure. And they're like, you should just mimic kind of what we do. But that can be successful, but to only an extent because you're not being you, you're being a version of them and you're being a lesser version of them. You're a copy of an original. You're not the original. So like, I just found it after a while. I was like, as good as business might be, this kind of sucks because I'm not being me all day, every day. It's like I'm acting up here all day. And that was so incongruent with how I wanted to be. And so I was like, I just got to be me and see what happens. Right. And yeah. And I bet once you started being you, your business flourished, your life flourished, everything just seemed a little bit easier. Yes. Right. Even as unorthodox as I am. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> so, so, you know, I would think that the niche of working with women would, even though it's a male dominated industry, I would think would be, could certainly be a competitive advantage because I would argue that 50% of the population are women, right? And women need to hire attorneys just like men need to hire attorneys because, well, for different reasons, but they're the other side of the transaction they're the other part of the counterparty in many different instances, you know, so, you know, they're involved in it. I would feel like there's a real big opportunity for people to want to work. I tell people that when they call me and ask me about finance or real estate or anything that I'm involved in, because I have different people that I mentor. And I'm like, you have to use what's a competitive advantage to you. So if you're a minority and a veteran, like those are two things that are unique and special about you. You need to lean into those as an opportunity and say, hey, I am 
you know, I'm a veteran like you, I'm an minority like you. And now I know you have these other concerns that I had and I figured out how to solve them. And now I can help you solve those concerns because I've walked in your shoes before. And, you know, I had a kid actually, um, I told him that whole, that was a real conversation. He went and actually got a scholarship in college to go get to finance based on, he just told them that story and they go, we have scholarships for you if that's what you want to do. He called me back. He's like, he was crying. He's like, you're not going to believe this. That's awesome. Yeah, I was like, and it was just somebody that literally had read some stuff that I had done online, emailed me one day and said, hey, can I pick your brain for a few minutes? I want to do something like what you do for a living. And and after listening to his story, I'm like, yeah, I don't know that you should do what I do. But knowing what I know, knowing what you want to do, here's the way I would pivot that and calls me back like a week later. He's like, somebody gave me a scholarship to get a, a finance degree, you know, and I was like, Good on you, man. Yes. And that goes back to what you were saying about mimicking someone else and using someone else's systems is okay as long as you change it to fit you and your own needs, right? So use it as a template instead of just as it is, because then it might not fit. But that was great. So that was a perfect example of him taking your story using it and changing it a little bit to fit him and his needs and then getting a scholarship on it. And you should always pivot and try to utilize your competitive advantages. And most people don't realize that they have competitive advantages just by being themselves. Just by being themselves. We all have our experiences, the things that we've gone through, the things we've done, the people we know, like those Everybody doesn't have the same life experiences that makes you unique. And so when other people, you know, ha- have those struggles or challenges that you've already been through and overcome, you know, if you can make that process a little bit easier for the next person, there's value in, in being able to help, you know, navigate them through that, you know, that uncertainty or that challenge or that struggle or however you view it, you know, 100%. So how do the women find you knowing that you're the women business owner whisperer? How do they find you? <laughs> oh, thank you for that. I don't think I've been called that before, but <laughs> I might use it again. I am um, online. I have a website, which is businessandbeyondllc.com. I'm on social media, Tanya Saig Bartolini. If they just Google Tanya Bartolini, I'm sure you know, they'll find me. I think there's another Tanya Bartolini who's a realtor. So it's kind of hard to mistake us. (laughs) Okay. Very good. Very good. All right. So just, just online, solid social media presence. People are, people are out there looking for you or looking for somebody like you and, and you show up. Yes. Or they can email me at contact at business and beyond LLC.com. I do offer a complimentary 45-minute business booster session. No sales, no gimmicks, no nothing. If they just have an obstacle or an issue and they want to brainstorm and figure out a plan to actually, you know, fix it, repair it, make it better, I'm more than happy to sit down and talk to them and get that in uh, place. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Got it. So social media is the driver. CRM is how we get. Um, so as far as where the business now is and where the business is ultimately headed, what's, you know, are there, you know, what's kind of the next step or how do you get to the next step? Because I, what I've learned in my business and I've experienced with other businesses, there's this old expression, what got you here won't get you there. 
right? There's certain systems and processes work to a certain point in scale, but then they break to get to the next level. So when is, how do you identify that next point? How do you get there? And what's that next level for you? So again, it's all about the planning. And this is why I also offer fractional director services. So I will come in and actually work as a part-time COO for a company or a part-time CEO and sometimes CFO, depending on what it is that they're looking for. But my next step is to also hire directors in my company so that it's not just me who's running it because you always need you know, the person who's doing the actual work, a manager, and an innovator, right? And all of those three things need to be in alignment, but cannot really be done by the same person because each of those positions requires a completely different set of skills and a completely different way of thinking about the business, And the only way to grow your business is to surround yourself with people who complement your skills, who are not the same as you, who have different thought patterns that can help grow and sustain and, you know, just deliver more value to the world. Sure, sure. So I try to explain to people all the time, I think business is a much is very much like a baseball game and not the whole baseball game. I think it's really just like the pitcher and catcher relationship. Right. So follow my logic here and tell me if I'm crazy. So and I guess since we're talking about women business owners, maybe it's a game of softball. Let's talk about will you softball. Right. Okay. so let's be gender specific here. So. In softball, you have a pitcher that throws the ball, right? And that's those are your leads or your opportunities. And so if you're out there doing business development and you're pitching for yourself, well, in baseball or softball, you have to have a catcher, right? So if you're spending part of your time being the pitcher and you're early in business, then you also have to run over here and be the catcher when it's time to catch if you're in the early form of of being in business, right? But as you grow, then the goal would be to replace one of those, right? Either somebody that can do the technical work as the catcher, right? Or create a new pitcher. Maybe it's automation, right? Through marketing and stuff that generates some of that inbound pitching to you. Or a human that that then does the intake of that. You know what I'm saying? Like the marketing drives to them and they read the forms and they call them back and they qualify or disqualify them. And then they shift them over to you or schedule an appointment. So now you've got this pitcher catcher relationship. And then the first time that you actually have a business is when you're the pitching coach sitting in the dugout, telling the pitcher what to pitch, telling the catcher what to catch. And you're just overseeing that whole process. And they're playing pitch and catch basically without you. Right. And that's the way I always put it together in in my head. You know, I need two people for it to be a business underneath me, right? I need somebody driving the business and I need somebody executing on the business for me overseeing it or filling in the gaps for it to get to be to the point where it is a business. That's the way I view it. And I agree with you 100%. There you go. And if we get lucky enough one day, uh, we get to be the owner of the franchise and we have 10 pitchers and 10 catchers and, and a GM and all the other stuff. Right. But that's that's a little bit farther down the road. It's true. And I love the E-Myth, which talks about having a business. Always think of it as a franchise. 
build it as you would a franchise, even if you never intend to franchise it so that it can be turnkey so that you can have all of, like you said earlier, you can plug someone in to work the system that works the business. Sure. Understood. I've read all the E-myth stuff that I read it as a very young person in business and it was very overwhelming. I'm like, I'm not even making money. How do I build systems and processes out of stuff that I can't even make money doing yet? You know, you're like, I'm such a failure. That it's all baby steps. You know, we all have to learn to walk. We all have to learn to talk. If you went to law school, you had to learn legalese, right? If you went to... Anything you do, you always have to learn. So why is business different? Yeah, no, I agree. It's funny you say that. I had an um, ex-girlfriend years ago that was an attorney and, you know, and we got, we were dating right after she became an attorney and all the time when we get in an argument, something she'd be like, you know, um, I'm an attorney. I know what I'm talking about. I'm really smart. I'm an attorney. I'm an attorney. I'm an attorney. She loved using this. I'm an attorney thing. Right. And then finally, one day I, in a heated conversation, I kind of snapped at her and I go, yeah, but you suck. You're a terrible attorney. You haven't figured it all out how to do it yet. You passed the bar, but that put you in a different game. And you're just, you love telling people you're an attorney and you love taking martini lunches. Like you think you're an attorney, but you actually stink at being an attorney. And she was like, and then like, she, that did not work well that day. That did not go over well. But like a month later, like, she's like, you know, like, I think you, you made a valid point. Like I, I studied real hard to get through law school and pass the bar and all that. And then I kind of relaxed when I got here and I'm like, okay, I've kind of made it. I'm like, no, all you did was just, you know, put yourself in a bigger ball game and now you have to compete harder to rise up the ranks amongst your peer group. Like, it's just, you started all over again, hit the reset button. You're at the bottom, you know? And, um, and she didn't realize that. So she appreciated it later in the heat of the moment. She did not appreciate that. But And that's life. You always have to learn. There's always new things. You can always be better than you were the day before. Yep. That's my goal every day when I wake up. I wake up, dress up, show up. And I say, at the end of the day, I just want to say, I learned something. I helped somebody and I got better. If I got better, even if it was a struggle or a challenge, because some days you're the windshield, some days you're the bug, right? <laughs> Yeah. So on those bug days, I just want to say, hey, I learned something today and I got better for the long term, even though today hurts. Yes. And learning what not to do is a valuable lesson. Absolutely true. It's just like the marketing. Once again, attract what we want and repel what we don't. And that's, you know, learning uh, not a good fit for your business or a customer that's going to take up too much time and it's not an ideal fit. So 100% agree. So from a business standpoint, is, are there any things happening on the, you know, on the landscape, you know, with maybe um, political reform or politics in general or legal things that are happening out there that are affecting business owners from the way that you coach and help people evaluate? Because I know you do um, in your legal practice, you do contracts and other stuff. So is there anything going on right now that is creating some kind of headwinds or an opportunity for change or just an opportunity? Um, from that perspective? So there's a lot of things going on um, and there are always things going on, but especially nowadays where you have what's called the great resignation and you have the quiet quitting and all of these things that are happening, it's more important to be able to have a plan and to make sure that you know what value you give, 
and to make sure that you can actually communicate that value to your clients and potential clients. People are worried that there might be a recession coming on or not. And the best way to be able to pivot and deal with changes is to know your numbers, right? Know your business. So know what your budget's going to look like. What happens if, right? So if you have your plan and you see that you have all of this cash flow coming in next month, but something or in a couple of months and you see that the climate is changing, right? You're going to be able to go back to your numbers, rework them and have a better plan of dealing with the changes that are about to come or something like what happened with COVID and everybody shut down. Those who knew their numbers and knew what they were doing with their businesses were able to pivot and go online and work remotely. Those who didn't have that just kind of went, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm closing my business. I'm done. Yeah. Right. So having a proper plan and a proper budget really will help you be able to go back and rework and pivot much more easily and effectively when the need arises. Sure. Sure. Agree. You know, I clients always, you know, have these conversations about, you know, is the recession coming or, you know, and what, what's going to happen? And I'm like, look, there's always been good times. There's always been bad times. It's cyclical, right? It's always been cyclical. It always will be cyclical because a lot of it's driven by human behavior and we're fickle people, right? So we, you know, fear and greed, fear and greed. But I always ask a client, I say, you know, the last time something bad happened, like 08, 09 as an opportunity, right? Did everybody suffer? Did everybody struggle in 08 and 09? And they're like, well, no, not everybody did. I said, okay. So it's possible to thrive in a down environment. It's possible. So the people that did thrive in a down environment, do you think they got lucky and just it was just or faded or did they have a plan? Did they have an opportunity? Did they see an opportunity that that opened up in the market because they had a plan of whether things went well or things went bad? You know, some products may be in service or needed and other products are less in favor in different times. So, you know, if not everybody struggles in a downtime and the people that do thrive in a downtime are the ones that had a plan, maybe you should have a plan. Yeah. And diversify, you know, have multiple streams of income, have multiple streams of marketing, have multiple products or offerings so that you can still continue your business, continue to thrive even at, you know, downtimes. And most people who have made fortunes started out when we've had recessions, when we've had those downtimes, because they were able to take advantage of those opportunities. Yep. We had a client that a um, few years back that had a private equity company come and look to offer them about $50 million to buy their company, but then realized that they were really only selling one product to their cust- to their customer base. And they had one core customer that was buying about 90% of the product. It was a big counterparty that they really didn't have to worry about their risk, but the private equity firm said, there's too much concentration risk in the business. 
So they went back and found five or six other products that they could sell to those same leads or customers that they were already working with and developed those additional five or six revenue streams. And then less than 18 months later, they sold the business for $160 million. So just more products to the same customers and it diversified their business and they got more than 3X on their original valuation. So yeah, that was clearly an opportunity that they had missed for all those years building their core business, but something they found better late than never, right? That's yes. And what comes to mind is I think Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi always say this is fall in love with your clients, not your products. So when you know your client and you want to serve your clients, that's when you can come up with different products and different services that will help them, that will solve their problems, as opposed to, oh, I have this product. How can I sell it to people? Sure. Right. It's I love my clients. What can I do to help them solve their issues? And that's how you come up and innovate and become even more successful. Yeah, I've never heard that. Get, fall in love with your customers, not your... I've never heard that. I mean, I think I follow a, a mantra that's very close. It's like, I don't I don't have any product to sell per se. I've never viewed it that way. You know, my job is to intellectually solve the problem that the client has. And if the solution to that problem is a product by default, then make the recommendation. But not always is a product a potential solution. Like, you know, sometimes it's just um, a behavioral change, you know what I'm saying? Or something else. There's not anything to buy is just stop being stupid, you know, stop doing dumb stuff. And you needed somebody to tell you what you're doing is dumb stuff. Stop doing it. Right. So that's, I mean, a product or a service, right. Yeah. And that is definitely a service. And I am sure when you talk to people about tax planning and strategies, you're not just giving them those strategies. You're also working with them on pivoting their thinking and their mindset and helping them see things in a different way so that they can actually act in a more productive manner, right? Sure. You have to. I mean, people are only familiar with what they're familiar with based on their experiences. So, you know, if you haven't Um, you know, one of the core things that I have to talk to people about all the time is, you know, they're like, I thought my CPA did what you're talking about. And I'm like, look, they don't. And here's why, right? The first half of the year, all a tax professional can actually do is what tax preparation, which is compliance work. They put the right numbers in the right boxes on the right forms. And they're so overwhelmed with so many clients having timely needs. There's no time for planning in the first half of the year. It's literally just get it done. So I said, so if your tax professional doesn't invite you to their office or to a Zoom in the second half of the year, and they don't charge you an hourly fee to do that and have a separate conversation that sounds something like, well, what if we put different numbers in different boxes on different forms? Would we get a different outcome? If you've never had that conversation, then your tax professional is not doing tax planning for you. It's just not built into their model. That doesn't make them a bad person, but they're you're making an assumption that they're doing something that they're just not doing, right? Yes. When they go, yeah, I've never been called in Q3 or Q4. I've never paid an additional fee and we've never had that conversation. I'm like, okay, then why did you think you were getting tax planning from your CPA? You, you weren't, right? It's not it's not what they do. They do compliance work. So anyway, no big deal. So 100% true. People don't know what they don't know. 
Very true. Yeah. Very true. I, I used to say that to one of the first bosses that I ever had. I was like, but I just don't know what I don't know. And he hated that. I was like, but I'll learn it <laughs> if you teach me. You know. So it's up to us as the business owners to educate people as to what services are out there, what it is that we can help them with. Right. Yeah. And the only way to know that is to know what issues that they're having. Absolutely. You have to talk to people from where they're coming from. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, well, Tanya, this has been a lot of fun. We're kind of bumping up against our time for the day. So I want to open the floor for anything that I should have asked, anything I didn't ask, or any potential we're closing remarks on, you know, being a female business owner and looking for to take the business up a business up and beyond. Like, you know, what do we need to what's the closing thought? What do we need to leave them with? So the closing thought is know your numbers. You know, you cannot improve what you cannot measure. So if you measure everything in your business, you'll be able to control your business and sustain it. Very good. Very good. Well, I appreciate you being here, Tanya. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for leaning into the opportunity and not being, uh, sometimes I get people so nervous when I don't give them a big list of questions of what I'm going to talk about. (laughs) I appreciate you playing the game. So, um, but everybody today, this was, um, uh, today's attorney on the call was uh, Tanya Bartolini and she is an attorney with Salas Law and she has a business coaching program for women, business and beyond. So she'll help you blow up your law firm and make it to the moon, to the moon, to the moon. Yes. It was such a pleasure. This has been very fun. Um, And I'm honored that you asked me and I'm happy to have been here. Thank you. Good stuff. And everybody, we, and we'll collect all your contact information. And when we send this out, it'll all be in the bottom of it. So it'll all be hyperlinked. So anywhere that you listen to this, Spotify or anywhere else, the contact information for Tanya will be available on there. So once again, thanks again for coming on the show today. Everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, this is the concludes our show for today. This was Matt Chancy with another episode of the Tax Alpha Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tax Alpha Solutions brought to you by Matt Chancy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.